How many of you have jobs where you have days that are just marvelous and then there are days that are just a grind, right? All of us do. For me, when it comes to the portion of my job that's sermon prep, sometimes it's a grind. It's hard. It, it's, I slug it out. And then there's other times that it's, it's joyous. It's fun. And that includes times like this, this week, where I spent a good chunk of time, not a good chunk, but some time looking at Instagram at dad jokes. And so I just want to go ahead and share some of these with you. My, one of my kids' favorite ones, who do you never let hold a balloon? Elsa, because she'll let it go into the unknown. My doctor told me I have the peekaboo virus. He told me to go straight to the ICU. Uh, Darian says, my salads tend to be on the dry side. That's definitely something that needs addressing. I'll do a few McDonald's ones, ready? I went to McDonald's the other day and I ordered two large fries. I complained to the manager because instead they gave me thousands of tiny little ones. And also, did you know that those same French fries they were cooked in, uh, they were not first cooked in France. They were actually cooked in Greece. Now, I know as you've heard these, you may be sitting in the, your uh, seat, rolling your eyes rather than rolling over on the floor laughing. But this was something that just brought me great joy. It's been fun just to be over the last few weeks, not even just for this, but going to that and just getting a good laugh. Because sometimes laughter and joy are exactly what we need. I found myself laughing all by myself, which as I say that out loud, sounds actually kind of sad. But the question for us is, what role does joy or happiness, laughter, what role does that play in our discipleship? Where, where does joy fit on the priority list of things that we need to highlight and ensure is part of our daily life in Christ? Even if we think about our rule of life that we're developing personally right now, where does joy fit in the rule of life? During this Advent season, we've been focusing on waiting. Advent's is the season when we look back to those prior to Jesus' coming and looking at their waiting for the Messiah to come. We, as God's people now, have a promise, just like they did, that our Messiah, Jesus, not only physically died and rose again, but he would one day return to renew and restore all of creation, to make all the wrongs righted. And so we wait in the same way as they do. Now, while we wait for the fullness of joy in Jesus's second coming, we get to experience his joy now. We aren't just waiting for joy. We are learning to wait with joy. Now, why? Biblically, you can find joy everywhere. The New Bible Dictionary says this, in both the Old Testament and New Testament, joy is consistently the mark both individually of the believer and corporately of the church. It is a quality, 
not simply an emotion grounded upon God himself and indeed derived from him, which characterizes the Christian life on earth and also anticipates eschatologically, which is the end times, the end of it all, the joy of being with Christ forever in the kingdom of God. Did you hear that? It's a quality. It's an em- not just an emotion. It characterizes us as you as an individual and as us corporately. The idea that joy is to be the quality which people look into your life and say, yeah, that person has joy regardless of the circumstances going on. When people come to be part of our missional communities, our church family, as they get to know us and as they see us go through various seasons of highs and lows, they are to say they have joy and I'm intrigued by that. Joy is the quality. Not necessarily our dad jokes, although maybe part of your spiritual formation and discipleship needs to include dad jokes. But not just dad jokes, but joy. Now, this is theologically important that we see joy this way. Joy in God's common grace for all people has tremendous benefits. This is God's common grace. Listen to this. Joy, like laughter, has been shown to have several health benefits. For example, you, if you, it can improve your immune system, reduce stress, and improve your mood. Joy also has been shown to positively affect your cardiovascular health by lowering blood pressure, increasing blood flow. Additionally, joy can help to improve your mental health by reducing feelings of anxiety and depression. Overall, joy is a powerful emotion that can profoundly impact your physical and psychological health. So yes, joy theologically is there. And um, as embodied souls, joy has a role. So a question for you. Are you known as a person of joy? Are we known as a church that's full of joy? And if not, the question is, why not? Why don't we experience joy? Now, I'm not talking about the superficial type of joy that is based on circumstances. I'm talking about a joy that is first found in the person of God that is the foundation of our life. So if you aren't experiencing joy, if that's not showing up in the fruits of your life, then let's go to the roots of your hearts and look about what we believe about God. And I believe that there's a key misunderstanding about what God is like that fuels our lack of joy. So, in my opinion, text messaging is the lowest possible and worst form of communication known to mankind. Now, it's good for something quick, it's good for sharing facts, but any form of emotion is utterly lost in translation. Uh, I've been accused or told many times that uh, my text messaging can come across as cutting. 
And now when I'm doing it, I'm literally just sharing facts. I'm desperately learning how to use emojis just to lighten it up and share a little bit of heart to it. I mean, the amount of times I've had to counsel couples to not text message important conversations, especially in marital strife, because you get so lost. I mean, think about it. According to some research, up to 70% of communication is nonverbal, meaning all facial recognition, all body language, all tone is lost. Now think about this. When you read the scriptures, you're looking at text. So we have to do the work of understanding the person well enough to assume and believe the tone of which they are speaking. People that know me know that I'm not meaning to be cutting in text messaging. They just know that I am sharing facts. But there are people that have a differing opinion than I do. And so I have to help them come to know me so that when they read my messages, they don't hear it in a certain way. So the question for you, when you read the New Testament, when you read the Bible, when you go to the New Testament, you see those red letters that characterize Jesus's words. What do you imagine his face to be like? What is the tone of his voice? Why does this matter? Because it determines how you experience the joy of God. I want to bring you to a familiar passage often used as a benediction. And this is Numbers 6, verses 24 through 26. It says this, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord Lord, turn his face toward you and give you peace. God's blessing, God's joy. Where is it found in this passage? In the Lord's face. To have his face shine upon you and shine toward you is to receive the blessing of joy from God. Now for us, this doesn't make much sense. This is not how we talk about our faces in our culture. And so we have to understand what they're saying in order to understand what's actually happening here. So when they say the Lord's face, that's the Lord's opinion of you. Let me give you an example. If you look uh, through the scriptures, this idea of his face is everywhere, but in our translations, it's often hidden. One example, I'll do a few examples. Psalm 1611, uh, it says, in your presence is full of joy. That's the NASB. But in the original language of Hebrew, it literally reads, abundance of joy with your face. You hear that? We try to understand it by saying in his presence. But literally what the passage is saying is in the face of God as he looks towards you is abundance of joy. Psalm 21 verse 6. You make him joyful with gladness in your presence. A word for word translation of the Hebrew says you make him happy with joy with your face. Do you hear that? The source of joy in our lives is the face of God. 
There's something different when you imagine joy not just coming from God's presence, as if you're in the same room with Him. And He just may be in the other corner, but He's there, so there's joy. There's something different when you think that God's face is looking towards you, and when He looks at you, it is with joy and happiness. There's something about God's gaze, it's more perceptible. His presence can mean a lot of things to a lot of people, but his face, that's different. Jim Wilder in his book, The Other Half of Church, argues that joy is literally God's face shining upon us. As what he calls himself as a neurotheologian, he specializes in brain science and theology in his practice. Now he says this, and I quote, When I compare the many scriptures that describe God's face shining on us with what I know about how our brains were designed, I came to three important points of convergence. Number one, joy is primarily transmitted through the face, especially the eyes, and secondarily the voice. Number two, joy is relational. It's what we feel when we're with someone who is happy to be with us. Joy does not exist outside of relationship. And number three, joy is important to us in God. End quote. In light of this, he says that we can replace the word joy with the words, quote, God's face shines upon you. So let's do this for a moment. Psalm 1611, what we just read, which says in your presence is full of joy. That would become when your face lights up because you are so happy to be with me, you fill me up with joy. Do you hear the difference there? Psalm, uh, excuse me, John 15, 11 says this in the original. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. If we use Wilder's understanding of joy, it would read like this. My father's face lights up when he sees me because I'm so special to him. I'm telling you this so that you will feel how special you are to my father and to me. Our faces are shining on you with delight. When you imagine the face of God, what do you see? Is it furrowed brow, narrowed eyes, clenched jaw? Or is it a face of a father who is happy to be with you? A father that looks on you with gladness and pleasure. The one who is full of hope. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. The God of hope is the one who fills us with joy when we believe. The source of our joy is that God's face shines upon us. Not angry growled, furrowed brow, narrowed eyes, and clenched jaw. When God looks at you who are in Christ, it is full of joy. But Justin, you say, what about all those times in life where things are not going well? Where there's pain, suffering, and hardship. How are we to experience joy 
as we talked about in our last series, when we are walking through the wilderness, wandering, or when we're experiencing coming to an end of ourselves, where's joy in the midst of that? Listen to this. First Peter chapter one, verses six through nine. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The Apostle Peter is writing to Christians all across the Roman Empire. He recognizes that people are experiencing persecution for their faith. They've left their homes fled to other countries, lost their possessions, even left their loved ones. Some have been arrested and killed for their faith. That's what he's describing when he's saying, verse 6, various trials. These are environments that often and rightly produce sorrow and grief. Now, those don't go away when we come to know Jesus, when we are in Christ. But they have a different meaning for us. Why? Because pain and suffering is not the final answer. It actually is the process that produces something. Verse 7, what does it say? It's testing the genuineness of your faith. And it's saying that in this is more precious than gold. And if we endure this, what's the outcome? Rejoicing with joy that's inexpressible. This is a joy that's not defined by external circumstances. That's not bound about about what's going on around you or how others perceive you. That's why James begins his epistle with this in James chapter one, starting in verse two. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effects that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Paul, similarly from prison, tells people to rejoice. How can he say to rejoice while he's in prison? He gets something. He gets that our joy is not found in our circumstances. It's found in the favor and face of God shining upon us. That's the foundation by which our joy is able to rest. Just think about it. Circumstances are fickle. They change quickly in our day and age. And if my joy is plugged into that outlet, it will run out of energy. But if my joy is connected to the face of God who shines upon me with joy, it will not wither. Now this hit me as I was preparing because I am not a person that often finds my joy only in the face of God shining upon me. Oftentimes, my joy in life is based on the circumstances of going around me. I forget that faithfulness often is more important than fruitfulness. 
And the fruit that Jesus is actually calling his people to is about character. And so because I focus on other things, I often can have my joy sourced there. Lack of contentment when compared to others. When I think about what could be or what could have been rather than what is and what God has brought me and us to. But the scriptures say that the joy of the Lord is our strength, even in the midst of difficult circumstances. I believe that this is so important, in fact, that I think that transformation is absolutely only going to happen if it's in an environment of joy. This is one of the reasons why we encourage you to celebrate as missional communities, not just because it's biblical, but because it allows you to weather the storm that comes when things get difficult. When you are in a season of contentment and joy and you're strong and recognizing the face of joy shining upon you, there will be others that are not. You can be the person that provides them strength and an example. You can pray for them and the Spirit can use you to bring the person who's struggling to that place. When you are struggling, you need to be in a place where people are happy that you are there. Transformation, according to Wilder, only happens in an environment where people are happy that you are there. So let me ask you this. Are you that person for others? Are you one that's so captivated by the face of God shining upon you that regardless of your situations, you bring joy? That that joy extends to other people, that you are happy when other people are there, that there's a sparkle in your eye when other people show up. My prayer for me, for you personally, is that you will be that type of person. I also want our missional communities to be like this, where people show up, whether it's our weekly meal or something we're doing throughout the week as a family. And people arrive and they just feel loved and welcomed and that they are belong with us because that's absolutely necessary for the gospel to penetrate their heart. What are the difficulties you face in life right now? What do you face in this Advent season? What trials do you find yourself facing? Where does the face of God shining upon you play in that place? What does the scripture say in Hebrews? It says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We can fix our eyes on him because he already fixed his eyes upon us. He already shared and showed the love of the Father. The love of God is for you. He showed that for you in the cross. When Jesus' face was filled with sorrow and sadness about hanging on the cross, he took on that sorrowful face so that you could have the face of God's joy shining upon you. And that's what we do in communion. We remember the body of Christ broken, his blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. We regularly remind ourselves that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Why? Because of God's love for us. And that is the fuel that which gives us joy. Where have you placed something as more important than God's face shining upon you? 
What circumstance do you think if this changes, then I'll be filled with joy? Or rather, can we as God's people, this Advent, as we wait not only for joy, can we learn to wait with joy as we long to see God fix the world that we're in? Father, thank you that your face shines upon us. That you look at us as, and you look at us with joy. You're happy when we are with you. You are filled with joy that you sent your spirit to fill your people. You, of this group of people in this room right now, your face is shining on those of us in Christ. God, you long for those here that don't yet believe to see your face of love that will forgive them of their sins because of what Jesus has done, that will welcome them into the family. So Father, we thank you for all this. We celebrate, remember, and sing during this time of waiting, this Advent, with joy because it's joy that's found in you.